Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got a great show for you this week. Lots of stuff to talk about in the car world, including perhaps the Apple car. Wow, that's something we haven't talked about in a while. There's also something called the Tesla Redwood. It's, it's a wild show here. Now, some things you may have heard of. The Jeep Wagoneer is going electric. We'll tell you what that means. There's a new Chevy Equinox. It looks really good. And then for some of the more enthusiastic uh, folks out there, CT5 Blackwing and the GTI are new for the new model year. We've got some updates, some things you're going to like. Uh, we'll tell you what we think about them. Driving some interesting things like the uh, Buick and Vista Avenir. And I got to talk to you about our Subaru WRX long-term uh, long-termer, which I've spent about a weekend now and I'm really enjoying. News editor Joel Stocksdale has been driving the Volvo XC90 Recharge. Plus, we'll spend your money. And with that, Joel, how are you? Doing all right. We've got a packed show here. Lots of stuff to talk about. Lots of even more stuff we could talk about. Yeah, almost seems like some of this could have almost been in an auto show in, in January. I don't, you know, I, I can't imagine a venue uh, that maybe would be like, I don't know, 20 miles from where we're both sitting. Right. Uh, <laughs> that they could do such a thing. I, I just, I don't know. So. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, next year, mark your calendars. Detroit Auto Show moves back to January. So uh, a car that I think would have likely been at the uh, Detroit Auto Show had it happened in January would be the CT5. Uh, this is, I think, kind of, uh, I think this looks pretty good. They did some uh, subtle updates. It's the V and the V Blackwing. Uh, so Zach Palmer, our road test editor, uh, reported this story out. The big news here is that the supercharged V8, that's 6.2 liters, uh, that's still going over. That's not changing. Don't worry. There's no hybrid. There's no twin turbo six or anything. Don't worry. That part of the car totally unchanged, which I think we can all agree is a good thing as V8s sort of continue their glide path uh, likely into the sunset in the coming coming years here. New infotainment inside. The screens are pretty big. The grill is a bit different. I think you got to look pretty closely just in the press pictures. I assume once we get to drive this thing, probably at like VIR or who knows, Laguna Seca, you know, you'll see it in person. It'll be like, oh, yeah, this is different. Uh, but I'm always a big fan of these Cadillac sedans. I think the most recent generation, they've really gotten it right as far as having classy looks but still sporty and getting that kind of V ethos going for it. Uh, and I think it's, it's a really good look for Cadillac. So um, what's your take on this, Joel? Yeah. I mean, it's not like a crazy change. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty mild, but I don't know that any of us really felt like it needed much. Uh, I mean, like the main appeal is the powertrain and the suspension and stuff. And all of that is, I mean, still basically the same, and yeah, that's good because we loved it. Didn't want that to change. And uh, if any, if anything, we did want to change. It was probably the interior and the new, the new screen and infotainment. It's really nice. It it does a lot to spruce up the cabin. Yeah, and if on the outside the lights are different, uh, Cadillac I think is very creative for really the last like almost twenty years at this point with the light pipes up front. That's uh, a long time queue of Cadillacs going back to like even old Eldorados and things like that. 
So I think it's a it's a good look. They tweet that. They apparently tweak the fenders, but again, that's something we'll probably need to see in real life to get a more of a handle on. Good looking cars. Like I said, I've really appreciated this era of Cadillac design. I appreciate how they're really still hanging in there with those rear wheel drive sports sedans and the big V8s. I mean, even Dodge is going away with a lot of this stuff. Although, you know, as you can see by the Charger prototype, it's not all totally gone, uh, but that's electric and it may be Hurricane inline six. This is still a V8 powered Detroit muscle sedan. And I think that's a great thing. I think this is, I can't wait to drive one of these. They really strike a chord with a lot of people like us. And, you know, associate editor Byron Hurd owns a CT4 Blackwing. So again, when you're, I think when you're getting auto blog editors saying, hey, we, we really like these cars, you're doing something right from an enthusiast perspective. So. Well, and when you get one that actually, that actually spends his money on it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's a good good uh, call out there. That's podcast at autoblog.com if you'd like <laughs> to uh, send your spend my monies. Uh, but something that is expected, but I think a bit of a disappointment, is the GTI. Uh, so basically what happened is for this new Golf that's coming here, it's only the GTI, which, hey, okay, I could get on board with that. But it's also only automatic as a dual clutch. And to me, the true... Like one of the key elements of the GTI was that that transmission. Just the clutch engagement was so good. The throws were spot on. It was something whether you were a hardcore enthusiast or somebody who was just learning to drive a stick, you could drive it and feel confident and understand just how good manual transmissions can be. So that, I mean, you know, I almost hate to dunk on them for that, but yeah, that sucks. Uh, Overall, the Golf looks okay, though. I mean, it's, you know, it's a small car that has a very niche market here in the United States. So, I mean, on the other side of the coin, at least they're still selling it here. So, yeah. And this is just a kind of mid, mid-cycle refresh for Golf. And they haven't, they haven't said anything about Golf R yet, like even globally. I would expect that we're still going to get Golf R. Um, but yeah, the, this, this refresh is definitely kind of a mixed bag for, for enthusiasts because like you said, no manual transmission anymore, which is a bummer because obviously the GTI is not like a super fast car. So while like the dual clutch transmission is very good and we like it, this is also definitely kind of one of those cars that can benefit from the extra engagement of being manual. Yes. Um, on the plus side, though, it gets rid of some of the really horrible touch buttons that Volkswagen implemented. And those, those were so bad. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just Volkswagen that is guilty of this either. There's a lot of automakers that have been doing this. Mercedes is one that jumps to mind. But the other upside is that the new GTI is more powerful. They've... Uh, bumped power up from 241 horsepower to 262, which you know, that's a solid that's a solid jump. Mm-hmm. They didn't announce torque, but we're guessing it'll be basically the same as the like 273 pound feet of the current one. Just because you know it's still basically the same engine, it's just making more power. So 
yeah, it's kind of a. It feels like a step sideways more than anything, since yeah, it's got some ergonomic and performance upgrades, but you lose the manual transmission, and that's that's a bummer. I do, uh, I do like the wheels on it though. Oh yeah, they're alpha-like almost when you look at them. Very much so. (laughs) I think for some people who perhaps may want like this edition, this version of what a GTI is. And there were some people who really did like the automatic transmission. You know, some people did. You know, there's a reason for it. You know, if you want to, maybe you're using it as like a city car. I mean, driving a stick shift in a congested urban area is not fun. So, I mean, it had its fans. And of course, Volkswagen, Volkswagen Group has outstanding dual clutch transmissions. So, you know, there's definitely some enthusiast cred still going on there. And it's very... It's a good execution. It's, you know, again, they cleaned up the interior. They snazzed up the outside. Those wheels look good. I would, like, if Zach Palmer was like, hey, man, you're on for the GTI next week, I would still be quite excited. You know, I wouldn't be like, yeah, nah, hot pass, hard pass. I'd be like, that's great. How long do I get to keep it for? And that's the thing. I mean, it's kind of the same deal with the Toyota Supra. Like, it launched with an 8-speed automatic, and everybody wanted the manual because manual's fun. But the Toyota's, the Supra's 8-speed automatic is a really, really good automatic transmission. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same deal with GTI. It's like, we really like the manual. That being said, the dual-clutch transmission is really, really good. And it's still a great car with it. So, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a give and take on this one. Did you see that the Black Wings had a, I think it was the CT5V and the Black Wings collectively had a 50% manual take rate? I almost can't believe that, but. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great to crazy. hear. Well, and these kinds of enthusiast cars really get a high take rate. The Jupiter yeah. WRX has an incredibly high one. I forget. I think it's more than 50% of wow. WRX okay. buyers buy it with a manual transmission, um, like by a significant margin. So there are cer- there are certain enthusiast cars that absolutely people prefer that and I think probably justifies developing the transmission for it. Oh for sure. And I mean I think at that point you know you're you're doing what you think uh the market is going to bear out. So I you know we'll get to this in a bit but in our long term I almost can't imagine not having the 6B manual in it. Otherwise because it would change the whole character of the car. So, I mean, it's six speeds are standard on the WRX. And you have to literally change to the Subaru performance transmission, which, you know, I don't, I don't think we'd really want to do. So, And uh, just to clarify, the, the Subaru performance transmission, it's a CVT by a fancy name. Yes. Yeah, I, it's a good point. Say the, uh, the quiet part out loud. There you go. Um, well... And I think one of the, probably one of the reasons that we're not seeing the manual in the GTI this time around is, well, for one thing, I think demand has dropped in Europe, I think. Mm-hmm. And also, Volkswagen is going to be looking at emission standards that it might be difficult to meet with the manual transmission. And the fact that this is probably the last generation, like, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing this is going to be the last generation of the Golf before. Yes. Before we get an all electric one. 
So Volkswagen is not looking to spend more money on this vehicle, this platform, because they're they're like we're we're sinking our money into the next generation that's going to be basically all electric, maybe plug-in hybrids. Um, so there's no and there's not much else that they're going to put them. There's not much else that they're going to put this manual transmission into. And the GTI is kind of the last thing. So I, I think that's, I think that's what we're seeing here is that like they're winding down this golf generation. It's kind of like the last bits and pieces. And, and that's why it's going away. It's interesting, too, when you look at how much I think Europe colors Volkswagen's like overall strategy. Take rates of electric vehicles in Europe are far outpacing the United States. We're at like maybe 8% this month. If everybody gets their tax credits, it goes to the dealership. Uh, that's what S&P is estimating. They were like last year, actually, as in like 2022, they were over 12%. So, you know, they're already over, I think, 15% at least. So I think Volkswagen, for a lot of reasons, is frankly trying to push more electric vehicles. They've invested in them, uh, which is, you know, a long-winded way of saying things like the Golf and the GTI are exiting stage left. And, you know, again, you know, sort of like the Blackwings and the Cadillac, you know, the Cadillac rear-wheel drive cars. If you want one of these kind of outgoing, soon-to-be dinosaurs, it's a good time to get one. They're new. They still have a lot of nice technology on them. And perhaps they have the powertrain that you'd rather have right now. So they're, they're at your local dealer. Mm -hmm. All right. You saw the new Equinox 2025. Uh, this is a little bit like a placeholder, if you will, because it's the gas-powered car. But it's very significantly updated. A new platform, which kind of caught me by surprise. The only thing that really isn't changed is the powertrain, which, you know, again, is gasoline. It's just the, the four-cylinder, uh, a very small displacement four-cylinder. Uh, but looking at the pictures, I thought, wow, they really gave it some of that really good Chevy DNA, like what we've seen in the Blazer, uh, the tracks, things like that. And for a while, the Equinox almost seemed to me kind of like, the less attractive just grocery getter crossover that you just maybe bought out of habit. Cause I looked at the blazer and I'm like, well, the blazer is way better looking. And then of course the tracks, the trailblazer, again, vehicles that have more of an identity, but I would say the Equinox finally has an identity and a lot of other enhancements. So you saw this thing in person. There's some nice pictures on the site. You know, what was your take? Yeah, I I absolutely agree. The old one had strong generic crossover vibes about it. And this one looks much chunkier and more rugged and has like a little bit of personality to it. So the exterior is a big improvement. I'm actually quite fond of the new active trim that they've launched, yeah. which is the sort of rugged i mean it, it boils down to styling and some all-terrain tires and 17 inch wheels so i mean it's not like that rugged but for a lot of people that's all that they really want or need um i like that it's i like the two-tone paint schemes the active has a white roof the rs has a black roof and what i was really impressed by was the interiors on the active and the rs they they're a huge improvement kind of feels like a 
a higher end, much larger version of like the tracks interior. It's very sculpted. It's got big flat panel screens ahead of you. It's got lots of nice upholstered finishes on the dashboard and the door panels. I really like on the kind of like turbine style air vents, there are uh, plastic trim pieces that go around them and they're like a translucent plastic kind of like kind of like old Macintosh computers from like the 2000s. Oh wow, that's really neat. Yeah, I, I really dig it. And like the Active and the RS, they each have nice faux leather seats with uh, perforated inserts and each one has a different perforated pattern. The Active has this nice kind of saddle brown color with some bits of micro suede. The the uh, the RS that I saw was black leather and it had like red and blue contrast stitching, which sounds like a lot, but it actually nice and subtle looks looks really good. I was really impressed. Yeah, those vents. That's a great point. I saw those in the pictures and I thought it reminds me a little bit of like the Camaro, what they mm -hmm. were doing there for a while. And props to Chevy. I think we've been pretty hard on a lot of GM interiors with good reason. Uh, but especially in things like the Equinox, where it totally seemed like this like farm of hard plastics and other weird plastic-like materials it really turned it around for this generation, I guess we could call it. You know, the new platform uh, was something I wasn't quite expecting. So uh, I imagine it'll ride a little bit better. Yeah, that was something I was surprised at, too, because, well, like we were just talking about with Volkswagen it seems interesting to have invested that kind of money in that, but I suppose this is probably also going to underpin unannounced products from like GMC and maybe Buick and stuff. So it could just be that this is just kind of the first of a number of vehicles that will be using this platform. Yeah. That's sometimes I think a way they can, you know, we're as much as we're like, is enthusiast media and industry watchers obsessed with platforms? You know, sometimes it's really, we tend to overcook it. You know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like the new Mustang carries over on an existing platform. Technically it's not a new generation. I don't think technically anybody cares. Uh, but at the same time, companies, huge companies like GM, Volkswagen, that you know, thread of the podcast that have massive scale when they're building like a new generation of things, a lot of times they just have a new platform that is going to be used by like five or six or seven vehicles. And it seems like that's the case here. And that makes sense. It's very, like, this is a very adaptable size. The Equinox is right in the middle of like really everything they make. Well, and also this is, I'm guessing they've kind of had this timed out where it's like, yeah, they, this is, almost assuredly the last gas-powered Equinox. Um, so they're probably like, okay, we know that there's still going to be this gap between when EVs go fully mainstream and our current gas Equinox is pretty old. It'll make sense for us to go ahead and launch a, a new one. Um, but we'll only have to like maintain it for the life of that generation and it's over. Um yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't announce any kind of like hybrid option. Yeah. That it's still just the 1.5 liter turbo four cylinder, which is a fine powertrain. Like the 
the power is like on par, it's competitive enough with the segment, but Chevy has had good hybrids in the past, and so would have been kind of nice to see that uh, on offer. Yeah, I think they, especially if it was perhaps a conventional hybrid, not a plug-in hybrid, and they kept the price competitive, I bet they would have had a significant take rate. I think people would have been interested in that because uh, it probably would have been a little more interesting to drive and a little more efficient than this, you know, again, tiny turbo, uh, turbo four. And I kind of think that there will be people that kind of like this more rugged looking version of the Equinox mm -hmm. compared to the electric Equinox, which for the record, I really like the electric Equinox. I actually saw an all blackout uh, RS version on the street yeah. the other day because I live like right near the GM tech center. I see this kind of stuff. Um, so it would have been interesting to see kind of a greener version of this gas powered version. Although I'm also guessing that Chevy's thinking was we're going to have plenty of Equinox EVs. And if you want the greener version, we're not going to sell it for a whole, I mean, yeah. cause the Equinox EV is supposed to start like mid $30,000, which isn't, that's, a, right, yeah. that's not a big upcharge compared to like regular gas-powered Equinoxes. So maybe offering the hybrid would have been tricky when you've also got the full EV for not much more. Then again, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be buyers that are like, I can't do an EV yet for whatever reason. Right. We're at that, like, I don't know if tipping point is the right way to put it, but we're at this transition phase where a lot of these vehicles are competing with each other in some ways because consumers are really not sure. I've talked to a lot of people about EVs lately. It feels like it's, if just for a lot of people, if they're looking to buy a car, they're like, okay, I've been hearing a ton about EVs. And then they'll, you probably get this too. They'll be like, well, what do you think? And where can I charge this thing? And, you know, you try to give them both the good and the bad sides of it. And I think for many people, an easy recommendation is a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid because you don't have to think about it. And perhaps that's where there would have been some space for the Equinox, but neither here nor there at this point. Uh, yeah, well, and also I'm guessing GM was also kind of thinking we're going to have more Equinox EVs actually available at the time that this gas one is coming out. That's true. Because that's another thing that they're kind of working on that they're having a little trouble with. That's true. Yeah. I mean, the other side of EVs with GM specifically is almost everything they said at the end of 22 that would be there or would be around in 23 has really taken a very long time to get here. And it's 24 early, end of January. And some of those things are just finally achieving any sort of scale. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm finally seeing Cadillac lyrics on. I was lock. just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but obviously that's only a piece of the pie because they, is Blazer off of its stop sale yet? Or is that still? I don't think so. Yeah. So they're in a, again, they're in a bit of a, they're in a bit of a tough stop spot. I think it seems like. Yeah. And I'm sure that this was, I'm sure this was not planned. I'm sure this was things in the background that we have not heard about have probably kind of stacked up a little bit and. 
the uh, I mean, even Mary Barra, their CEO, said it's sort of her end of year like interview she does in Detroit. Um, yeah, we were disappointed. This is not what we thought things how things would go. Um, we want to sell more of them, obviously. So, yeah, because I'm sure that like I I don't think their strategy was was bad, but clearly some things have gone wrong that were not that were not anticipated. <laughs> yeah. I mean the to go back to the the blazer, you know, we did that story and uh uh we sort of aggregated for lack of a better way to put it the disaster Edmonds had with their, you know, their blazer. And it just it's sometimes when things go sideways with new technology, they really go sideways. Mm-hmm. And it I mean, it can happen to it can happen to anybody. Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely it it definitely could go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not exclusive to General Motors. We've seen it with you know many different automakers. Um, yeah, I have not seen a start sale for the Blazer. I've done some furious googling here. I have not seen one. They issued it late December, and um, they're saying it. Uh, uh you know it impacts a limited number but um yeah i don't know it it came out right after that Edmonds report that a lot of people including us wrote up on and then motor trend gave it their uh vehicle of the year and they have a story talking about how uh yeah we didn't really know this was going to happen um mm-hmm. so i mean it's it's tricky yeah i guess we'll hope for better luck for the wagoneer SEV. We've got kind of a good looking uh, teaser shot of it. It looks like a Jeep. Looks kind of like a Wagoneer. We don't know much else. Uh, We knew this was going to happen though, uh, that they were going to have an all wheel drive electric Jeep uh, wearing the Wagoneer badge. It's going to have, of course, a four wheel drive and zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds with 600 horsepower, reading right from our story. So that's kind of cool. Jeep is allegedly. I think 2025 is the time they've said they're going to really have most of their lineup electrified in some form. This one uh, is a 2025 model year, so we think we'll hear something soon. Uh, Beyond that, if you actually do some Googling, it looked like there's some leaked images out there that seem a little just too sketchy for us to pick up, but they're out there. And of course, we have this story on our site. Honestly, this seems more like the Wagoneer I would be interested in. The sort of battle cruiser, you know, refrigerator on wheels that they rolled out a few years ago, while very nice. And it's definitely a formidable competitor to things like, you know, the Escalade, uh, the Navigator, the Tahoe, etc. I don't know. I, I kind of thought I would have liked to have seen a different approach for the Wagoneer name. Although the business case, I'm sure, would prove me wrong. Uh, I'm sure Jeep did it that way for a reason, but this is a little more different kind of special. And I think it could get a lot of customers for Jeep. So. Yeah. So from the teaser, I mean, it looks like it's going to look pretty much just like the concept that was shown. Oh, wow. Uh, just over a year ago at this point, um, which I mean, looking at it, kind of reminds me of like a sleeker kind of rounded 
version of the Grand Cherokee, to be honest. And I'm guessing it will actually probably be closer to Grand Cherokee in sort of like size and proportions, but probably more luxurious and also, of course, much, much quicker and sportier. Kind of like, uh, kind of like Range Rover, kind of like Land Rover, Range Rover Sport, or even, uh, or even the Villar. It's a good way to put it. And it'll be interesting to see how it goes, because, you know, I, I know that, like, the styling of the Wagoneer is kind of divisive, and I, and I get it, but at the same time, I think they did go the right way with that being very blocky and boxy and kind of truck-like. Because I, I think that segment likes that. I mean, it's going up against Tahoe and Sequoia and uh, Expedition, and they're all, they're all very trucky. I mean, they're all based on full-size trucks. So is Wagoneer. It's based on the Ram platform. Uh, so I kind of think that's that was the right move. Plus, you know, a box is very practical. <laughs> well, that's true. I think to me, when I think box, I think Jeep Commander. Remember that thing? So yeah, the Wagoneer is a better name. And like, I wasn't in this business when Commander came out. I know that there were many complaints about it, and probably a lot of them legitimate. I always thought it looked cool, at least, though. I did, too. <laughs> I agree, actually. I did, too. Um, like, I think I think I even liked the way it looked better than, like, Grand Cherokee. Oh, that's a that's a hot take. I think the Grand <laughs> Cherokees from that time, actually, I I like a little better. They were jeepy. And frankly, that would be a decent winter beater, you know, like a 07 Grand Cherokee with those kind of fender flares. Get it in green. I'd drive that car. I'd drive that car all summer too. Yeah. I actually don't even, I even think commander is a pretty decent name. I agree. I agree. For me, it's not so much. It's the way they used Wagoneer. I guess that's what I'm saying is I would have, when I think Wagoneer and grand Wagoneer, I think of those things from, you know, the eighties, the seventies and eighties. Retro is probably not the right way to go. So luxurious and expensive is if you want to make money. You know, nostalgia doesn't necessarily hit the bottom line. And truthfully, I mean, the old Wagoneers were, at, like, toward the end of their life, quite plush SUVs. Mm -hmm. So it, it, fits, it fits the bill. But yeah, Wagoneer S, it'll be interesting. I, yeah. I imagine it kind of like a very luxurious, refined take on sort of the Grand Cherokee SRT. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, speaking of electrics, I think it's a good transition over to Tesla. Uh, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday morning. Tesla is actually going to report its earnings uh, later today. So, come, you know, check that out on our site. We'll have that by the time you're listening to this. You know, it'll be the weekend. Hopefully you are, I don't know, I always say in the summer grilling, maybe you're on your way to go do some skating on a frozen lake. You're on your way to a hockey game. It's sledding season. That's good. Uh, you're going for a nice snowy walk in the woods. I don't know. Wherever you get the Autoblog podcast and consume it, don't forget, you missed Tesla earnings. We'll have it. Check those out. But something we expect to hear something about uh, is this new electric, uh, uh, a more mass market vehicle. They've called it codenamed Redwood. That's according to Reuters. We expect to see it 
in the middle of next year. Uh, and this would be perhaps a compact crossover. So I can only assume it would slot in like below the Model Y if I'm doing my sort of Tesla math correctly. Um, it seems like they need some new products, to be honest. I think something like that could add um, could add some scale, which would be good. Tesla's like, I think they're doing, and it'll be interesting to hear how these numbers bear out, but I think they're doing a good job of doing better than treading water, which means I don't think they're blowing the doors off of anything, but they're making money usually. They're usually hitting analysts' expectations. They're capitalizing on a market that for the moment is EV friendly. There could be a lot of headwinds. And I think the one thing that we've seen lacking is new vehicles outside of, of course, the Cybertruck, which is either going to be a home run or a DeLorean. We just really don't quite know which is going to land there. Uh, but how do you feel about Tesla? So <sighs> this is interesting. I, cause I'm, I am pulled in two different directions on this one. On the one hand, I would imagine that, especially if this is like a very budget vehicle, Tesla has definitely refined their their motors and kind of battery setup a lot for like Model 3 and Model Y, and they clearly have figured out how to make those fairly affordably, considering all of the price drops that they've been rolling out on those vehicles. So I'm assuming they would probably use most of those components and they've got the costs and stuff figured out on that. It's all fairly affordable. They don't necessarily need to do anything new to it. So that would be a way to both keep costs down and to kind of jumpstart development. On the other hand, like we, the company hasn't said like anything even like, kind of concrete about this thing we haven't seen any kind of like concept i mean we saw cybertruck now what four and a half years ago and even before that we thought we were going to see a tesla roadster come out that sure hasn't happened despite kind of that concept being shown very prominently granted both of those are like high-end halo vehicles that are image builders and are something that um, kind of a crazed CEO can get excited about as opposed to like a budget economy car. So I, and also, I don't know, I, considering how long it's taken to get Cybertruck out and how many resources I'm sure have been dedicated to getting that thing done, it's just hard for me to imagine that Tesla could have this whole new model out next year. It's um, true. When you think of product development plans, like that doesn't really track. And like nobody's like, we haven't even seen like spy photos of this thing. Like it, I, I don't know. I mean, like, is it possible? Like, sure. But like, I just feel like I haven't seen much elsewhere that would really make me think that it's actually happening and coming. Um, it'll also be interesting to see what everybody thinks of it, because I know that because like, like for so long, Tesla has been viewed as a luxury brand and has been compared as such. 
Um, it's changed a little bit, though, with the Y and the three. Yeah, a, a bit. And I kind of think the, the continuing discounts and the fact that the vehicles are aging is starting to kind of eat at that a little bit. Um, well, it'll be, it, it'll be interesting to see what that does with the image. And also, it'll be interesting to see what Tesla does with a vehicle that is normally a low margin and very price conscious uh, segment. Well, I think one thing to your point, even though they have been luxurious, they do have the sheen of getting a Tesla. So I think if you're somebody who's like, I want an EV, okay, Hyundai has this, Chevy has this, I still want to go with the Tesla. It's like literally, and I've said this on a couple podcasts, it's the same reason I went out and got an iPhone SE, just because I wanted an iPhone. I had had a Google Pixel, which frankly is a better phone in most measurable ways. But I was like, nah, you know, I want to go ahead and get back in the iOS system. And it's just, it's more what I like. It, and I think that's what some people may default to if they're going to get an EV. If you're going to get an EV, you get a Tesla, perhaps. It's pretty, they still have like, you know, hegemony over the, uh, you know, EV sector in the United States and the world, frankly. So, you know, I, I get it. And it makes sense to try to meet the customer where they are. But um, it's also, as I think the Detroit 3 especially will tell you, and a little bit Volkswagen here, it's very hard to sell a small vehicle profitably, especially if they're going to make it here, and to do it in a way that makes it seem anything less than a compromised vehicle. Because especially with Americans, we think of a smaller car as something as less than. We just do. We want the biggest thing you can get. Now, that's obviously a bit of a trope even, but it's tough. It's really tough to make that argument. Tesla might be the one that could cut through it and say, ah, no, no, this is this good Redwood code name, which is a spectacular code name. I love that. Uh, I think they should call it that. Um, man, I don't know. This is, it's the top voted question for, Tesla investors. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Elon actually tackles that. Yeah. And it'll also be interesting to see because I think this is also a segment where people have much less tolerance for when things go wrong. <laughs> like there's a reason that people buy endless Toyota Corollas because they buy them and they just work. They don't, yeah. do, they don't do weird things. They don't have weird problems. And that's not necessarily something you can say about a Tesla. <laughs> um, and like, and I think luxury buyers in general are willing to put up with like odd things going wrong here and there because they're getting like latest, greatest kind of thing. But I think for a lot of people at like lower price points, it's like, I'm getting this because I need a car and I need it to work, and I need it to not cause me problems and be a headache on my other... Um, I, I don't need another headache on top of other things in my life. Yeah, that's a great point, because if you're really thinking logically, what, the answer to that is more like Honda Civic, not Tesla. Uh, so. so it'll be interesting. I'm viewing this with a lot of skepticism, which is probably how a lot of things related to Tesla should be looked at. Well, how about a car from Apple? They actually have never built any sort of car. And 
very kind of curious report this morning that uh, they're still looking to do it, apparently. Uh, Bloomberg was the one that originally had some reporting on this, and it, it made the rounds. I think this is a blast from the past. I feel like this is something we have not talked about in quite some time. Um, it's definitely something that, you know, they seem to be really looking at this as almost this total like rethinking the car business, uh, especially in the mid-teens when this really was more talked about. It was autonomous. It was going to be electric. <coughs> it was going to look different. Uh, Apple, Google, Alphabet, it seemed like all the tech companies were trying to do it. I'm surprised Yahoo didn't try to do one, you know, and it was like, that was the thing. And the only one that really survived was like the Sony partnership, because really it's with Honda. And I think that one really seems like it's going to happen. Now we're at a point where, you know, this Apple thing has appeared back out of the mist. Allegedly, it's coming in 2028, which actually seems like a more realistic time frame than the Tesla Redwood products. So I don't know. I think my thought is, is a lot of people, if there was an Apple car, would probably buy it. And I think it also could be a disaster. Not that um, Apple can't do this, because I think they could. But I also think building a car is extremely hard. In some ways, it's miraculous, all the things that go into it. Like building, like just think of everything that's in, say, the new Chevy Blazer from the touchscreens. That's like doing like an iPhone. Then you got to make sure the whole thing can operate safely, be fuel efficient, look good, which is what everybody thinks they're an expert in, and, you know, meet the different needs of people. And oh, by the way, your competitors, most of whom have been around a minimum of 70 or 80 years, some of them 120. If you're going to be good at it, you got to have billions of dollars. Apple has one of those things, billions of dollars. So I, for what it's worth, I think they could do it. I think consumers would be interested in a car wearing a badge that says Sony or Apple, for that matter. I think they need a partner, which it doesn't sound like they have. And I think the the autonomous vehicle stuff, you got to throw that out. That's not going to get allow you to get your vehicle safely and on the market quickly. That may be a turnoff for them, too. Obviously, I have some strong feelings about it. They could probably buy the electric components. You had, you had some hot takes this morning when I, not hot takes, but you had thoughts when I dropped this into Slack. Well, so I, first off, I agree. I, I, I guess I was also partly surprised at hearing this Apple news in part because I kind of thought we had gotten, I kind of thought that it was over also. Back when there were the rumors of Apple and Hyundai partnering up, and then that kind of imploded. I was like, okay, that's got to be like, that's got to be the nail in the coffin for this whole thing. Um, and also the fact that like Apple's autonomous development wasn't like moving along the way they were anticipating. But the thing is, it's like cars are hard. They're also really expensive to build them, to get the materials, to do the engineering, to do all of the safety stuff, all of the compliance stuff. And they're also really small margins, really small and lot and like a very established and effective competition out there. Like, and all of that 
like, yes, Apple does have a history of kind of blowing up a market like iPod and iPhone, especially iPhone. But all of those, all of those were also still kind of closely related to computers. Like it was still computing and electronics and things. And, and that's a big part of cars now also, increasingly so as they go electric. But it's still a lot of like dynamics and safety and material. And because I mean, Apple's going to need an entire crew of people to work on like crash structures and suspension and brakes. And I mean, yeah, the electronics are a significant, significant component, but it's far from the only thing. And the factories, like the size and the material, it's just, it's all so expensive and it's so low margin. And none of that is something that I think a lot of these companies actually want to do. Apple is a crazy profitable company. They make so much money on their electronics. A lot of these electronics companies do. That's not the car business. <laughs> um, and frankly, I mean, with Tesla, it's a lot of it is getting by. I mean, yes, their cars are profitable and more so than a lot of vehicles, but I think they've gotten away a lot on they make a lot of money off of... Um, like carbon credits from other automakers that other automakers have to buy to make up for their, uh, for their gas cars. They also, they're running very old vehicles at this point that they've gotten a lot of all that sorted out and they've had huge amounts of investor money and their stock and their stock is super valuable. I think it's probably very much overvalued <laughs> because at the, at the core, they are a car company. And that's, that's the main thing. It's like, I mean, I think a lot of people think that there's more in there than just that they're a car. I mean, the charging network, that's something. I have no idea how profitable that is, if it is at all. Um, I mean, I think it's very good for them as a selling point. But anyway, I'm, I'm kind of digressing a little bit. This just doesn't seem like an this just doesn't seem like an industry that Apple would really want to get involved in, especially, I mean, a company that like is so profitable at what they do and has freaky huge cash reserves, <laughs> like actual cash on it. It's not even like just assets or things. It's like they have money just there. I don't know. They could do it. I think they could. I just don't know that they actually would want to. Well, sometimes I think you see this, especially when CEOs have been around a little while and Tim Cook has been at the helm of Apple for, you know, for a minute. Uh, they almost want to do these like, it's almost like legacy building. You want to do something that's different, that you made your mark. You didn't just build the next iPhone and, you know, steer the ship. You did this other thing. You know, you were Magellan or somebody, you know, you discovered this new thing. Um so I wonder if some of that, and it's frankly, I think the, the origins of this even predate him. So, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons companies do things, uh, you know, Ford completely revitalized the 110 year old train station in Detroit. It was one of the biggest eyesores for decades. And I think it's awesome. I'm thrilled they did it as a Metro Detroiter. It's a great piece of architecture. 
and it's a stunning piece of the city's landscape. If you've been watching the Lions, every home game, the network's cut in and out of like the skyline. And you see what used to be like the number one like ruin porn is now this amazing piece of architecture that was designed in at the time was considered to be better than New York's Grand Central Station, believe it or not. And now this thing's revitalized. Long story short, when they did that, I was like, guys, you got to build like small cars and trucks. Like, do you really have time to do this? They pulled it off. So, I mean, all that's to say is if you pull it off, you know, winning cures all, I guess, you know, I don't know. So sure. if they pull it off, who knows? Yeah. And honestly, I think you may have something there with like, I'm sure that being the CEO of Apple, not long after like ha- trying to follow up Steve Jobs, that's, that's always going to be like, how can I make a name for myself as opposed to just like, you know, keeping the, keeping um, Steve Jobs company going. And I mean, it happens at other automakers too. I'm uh, Ferdinand Pieck at Volkswagen had all kinds of ego stroking projects like uh, VW Phaeton and Bugatti Veyron and <laughs> things like that. Granted, I would also reference back to the fact that like those are still cars and they were car companies. It's true. <laughs> um, and of the two that I mentioned, one of them was a gigantic flop. <laughs> uh, That's true. Yeah. I mean, Ford made boats. GM, I think, has been in the refrigerator business. You know, it's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, this stuff happens, but yeah, it's tougher to go the other way. I think it's tougher to get into the car business when that's not your jam. When you can do something else and then expand into it, you can. It doesn't always work. Uh, remember when GM bought uh, Ross Perot's uh, company? What was that called? The EDS in the 80s? You probably don't remember that. That was that long ago. No. Um, but that was a little bit of probably board overreach. So, um, yeah. It, wow. It's, it's going to be interesting. Um, and, and actually, like one last comment. I think Apple could do it. I think what would make more sense for Apple is to do more work collaboratively with automakers on like the systems and infotainments in them. Um, Because I think that is an area where Apple does have a lot of expertise and could really, and I think it's something that could bolster their business by having other players that are working closely with you and can kind of help sell that Apple ecosystem like and your and this car from this manufacturer also works great with all of your Apple things. All right. I think we've hit the news section pretty hard. We're running a little <laughs> long here. So we should probably kind of run through some car reviews, get to some spending your money. Uh thankfully these are fairly short reviews. We've talked about the the wrecks already. Um but hey we're talking cars. It's fun, right? I drove the Buick um, this is the Invista, the Evan Air trim. So it's a very nice trim. Have you driven this by chance? Have you br- driven the new Buick yet? I haven't driven the Invista yet, but I have driven the Trax, which it's which same is thing. the same platform yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, my big takeaway was wow, for a small domestic vehicle, this is a compact crossover. Wow, it's it's tough to do this. GM in particular has struggled with this for years. Um, but this is great. I was really impressed. Um, they nailed the styling. I think it's very attractive. 
they Invista and Avenir are kind of like riffs on previous concepts they've used for Buick. Great looking crossover, I thought. Um, I drove it in basically a blizzard multiple times and it handled pretty well. So there's that. I thought it's a great value for about mine came in at $30,490. Only compromise again, and this is where we mentioned this earlier in the show. You got to want to buy a small vehicle, and some people do. And once you kind of recalibrate your brain that way, okay, you want one that's very nice. Some of these things you have to pay for. Heated seats cost money, whether you're in a Tahoe or, you know, an Avenir or an Invista. So, um, Invista or Invista? I'm not sure what I, if I'm saying it right. I don't hear the ads enough. Uh, all yeah. I hear is that that's a Buick. So yeah, I I say Invista. I I don't think either is necessary. I don't. I think either way is probably fine. <laughs> you know what it is? Is there was a Buick of Vista concept about seven eight years ago, and I think just that's I've made that correlation in my head, and I haven't been able to unhook it. So. Um, this is the 1.2 liter turbo, uh, six speed automatic transmission. General Motors, I think is, they've succeeded in an area that Ford really hasn't as far as making quality, very small displacement turbo fours. Uh, they like, this is a decent engine. Uh, so there's, you know, pretty solid, uh, fuel economy was 28 in the city and 32, uh, on the highway, which that was the one thing I would ding them for. It seems like for a car this size, a crossover this size, it should get a little bit better. I was expecting more like both of them in the 30s than maybe more like a mid-30s kind of combined figure. Uh, but it was efficient in real-world driving. So there's that. Uh, interior I thought was pretty good. Uh, again, you know, I think we'll see more of this with the Equinox that you mentioned. Uh, and we also saw this with the, uh, the tracks. It doesn't feel like a compromised domestic interior. It's a nice place to spend time. Uh, grayish kind of tan uh, material stitching. Uh, it was, you know, very attractive, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, I think 11 inch color touchscreen was pretty easy to use. I generally was impressed with it. I really was. I think there weren't even that many options on it that made me think, oh, hey, this is loaded and made it feel nicer than it was. So I would expect I would have a similar um, vibe, vibe, there's a Pontiac reference with the, the Chevy version, which you've driven. Yeah, I was really very impressed with the tracks. It, not like super fast, but I mean, it's got good torque. So, I mean, yeah. it, it feels plenty, it feels plenty peppy around town. The six speed automatic is smooth and because it's only six speeds, it's not hunting for gears all the time. And it's not a CVT, so it's not like droning. And the steering's a little numb, but like the chassis feels really good. It feels pretty eager and very composed. And I assume that it's the same for Invista. And I think the Invista looks really good. And the tracks, like they both have very good proportions. Something like they look they look lower, longer, and wider than a lot of things in their segment. And something else that I also appreciate is that they got the wheel track very nice on it. It fills out the fenders well, like they get out to the very edge. And I think that also contributes to kind of the visual width and stance of the vehicle. 
And I think that's something that a lot of automakers miss, but, but they got right on that. And like the interiors are good. Like it, they're just very good vehicles and they're cheap. Yes. <laughs> cause yes. like this is, cause the Avenir that you had, that is the top rung, mm -hmm. like most luxurious version of Invista. And you said what? $30,000 or so. <laughs> Yep, thirty thousand four hundred and ninety ish. So it's um, it's a steal, man. I think yeah. it's and so like all the other trims are under thirty thousand. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where too um, GM really needs to get this vehicle in front of a lot of like get it in front of a lot of people because I think they would buy it. This is the kind of thing that I think if a non GM domestic buyer saw it, maybe you didn't have the Buick badge on it. They see it, they're like, that looks great. Then they're like, it costs how much? Okay. So are you, are you saying that those people would be like, that's a Buick? Yeah, I, I hate <laughs> to say it. Yeah. Yeah. But I also have found it's interesting, maybe because I've slightly gotten a little bit older as a geriatric millennial, as they call my group. I don't feel like I would not drive a Buick or a Lincoln. They're nice vehicles. And the styling is better than many things in their segment. Um I think I would drive one. You know, I really would. It, it definitely takes some mental recalibration to think, oh, I own a Buick. Um, but I don't know. In some ways, who even cares? You know, it's. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, if it's a neat vehicle, I mean, yeah, I can get past the badge. Like I, yeah. I thought the, um, the Buick Regal, the, the Tour X wagon was very cool. And the, the GS like sporty version was pretty neat too. The uh, but yeah, and Vista like it looks really good. It's actually one of the one of the rare crossover quote unquote coupes that I think actually looks quite good. Like it actually mm -hmm. looks it looks very fast back and sleek um, as opposed to just an SUV where we kind of cut the back off a little bit. Or even worse, a hatchback that's lifted an inch and a half off the ground. And you're like. Well, that would have been a cool car, but for some reason they squished the wheels and lifted it. Now it just looks awkward. Mm -hmm. So I agree. They really got the stance right. Um, that's actually a good segue to uh, our long-term update. The, uh, the Subaru WRX just joined the fleet. Road test editor Zach Palmer uh, put a couple thousand miles on it. So we're through the break-in period. It's one of the things that people have had some issues with is the like all the plastic from the back around the wheel wells. It's, it's very plasticky. Let's put it that way. Uh, as far as the design element, I haven't quite landed on how exactly I feel about that part of the, the equation. I like it. I really do. I think it's, um, you know, I think it looks how you'd expect the WRX to drive, but you know, the plastic is a little divisive, if you will. And I think it, it, it goes to that rally sort of heritage and it's, you know, it's there for a reason, but it also, no one's saying this has a nice clean look like we've just lauded the GM small crossovers for having. So, uh, you know, again, Zach kind of put the initial miles on it. I've had this for a week. It's, uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. I think it's, uh, we have not had a WRX in our long-term fleet in quite some time. We did have an STI in 2008, I wanna say, um, ballpark somewhere in there. It was long enough ago that, I mean, there was such a thing as an STI. And 
you know, this does have some of those same ethos, only doesn't have the same kind of power. I think it's obviously a hardcore, um, you know, enthusiast play. Ours is bright orange. It's got the, the hood vent. You're going to see it. You're going to notice it. Um, black wheels, which is cool. We have the winter rubber on it, which is good. We tried to see if the gold wheels from that, I think that STI would fit, but they, they didn't quite, I guess, is the report I got. Uh, frankly, I don't think gold would work with the orange look. Might've tried it for a few months. I don't know, but, um, I've liked it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, when you think of manual transmissions that stick with you, like the GTI Subarus, uh, in the WRX is one of them. This is something that it's got that heavy clutch. The throws are, I hate to say medium length. That's a terrible way to describe them, but they're not long. They're not short. They're just like, you know, medium length throws. It's a six speed. Uh, you do have that heavy clutch. Uh, you can plow through snow. I have just been mushing better than if I had a team of Huskies pulling me through the wood, like the woods. It's really something. Downside is, is you do get that super tight suspension. So once the snow clears and you've got all the, like the frost and snow damaged roads, it's just like ka-chunk, you know, you just hammer over everything. I hit a pothole and literally I thought the front end of the car was going to sink because it was so low to the ground. It, I think it was a little bit of an optical kind of illusion, but for a minute it looked like when a ship is going down by the bow. Um, thankfully everything was fine, but you're low to the ground is what I'm trying to say. Steering is super dialed in. Um, yeah, I mean, this has, in case you're curious, it's a 2.4 liter, four liter turbocharged. It's a flat four, 272 horsepower. So a little bit more six speed manual. Of course, it's all wheel drive. And then the curb weight is third, just under 3,400 pounds, which is, you know, that's, that's a light car. That's a light sedan. And fuel economy, I've been observing about in the 20s. It's rated 19 in the city, 26 on the highway, which is not terrible um, for what this is. I've, you know, I've enjoyed it. It's, uh, yeah. Have you, have you driven, you have not driven this one, but have you driven the Rex yet? Yeah, I've driven the regular WRX and I also drove the TR version. Okay. Um, That's intense. Over in Italy, yeah. Well, it's a little intense. It's like 5% stiffer suspension um, and way bigger brakes. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And it also comes with, like, it's got the Recaro seats from the GT version. Mm. Um, no sunroof. Um, you know, I mean, I've liked all of them. They're all lots and lots of fun. And, like, they even though they have made them much more easy to drive. I, I don't know that that's the perfect way to put it, but I mean, like the bigger displacement four cylinder and like upgraded turbos and stuff, they're, they're less, uh, the boost comes on a lot smoother and more progressively, and it's not as dead when it's out of boost. So it's just a lot easier to, work with despite that it still has that kind of like hooligan vibe to w like driving it it feels like you want to kind of drive like an idiot 
Okay. Like it's just it's got all of this grip and like this eager engine, and it just it it kind of eggs you on a little bit. Like yeah, just be be a little bit silly. Um, and I like the way the WRX looks. I I'm I absolutely approve of the orange paint color that we got. Uh, and you know. I get why some people are turned off by the body cladding. I kind of like it. And the thing is, this is maybe a kind of a hot take. Subarus just don't look that great. They never have. Okay. <laughs> and they're always going to look a little weird. And I think that's a lot of the charm of them. Like they all like, Probably my favorite Impreza was those bug eye ones um, from like, what was it, 2001 to 2003? Lots of people hate those. Yeah, didn't John <laughs> Snyder have one of those? At one I, th- point? I think he did, yeah. Yeah. I love them. Like, I I think they, yeah, they look a little weird, but like, I kind of dig them. Um, I had a neighbor who had one. He, I never saw it until he moved. I was like, oh, that was a nice car. I wish I knew that was in there. But also, I feel like Subarus age surprisingly well, too. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because um, oftentimes I look back and like, like the uh, I think they're often referred to as the Hawkeye Imprezas, which were like the last version of that generation that came out in two thousand one. So it had the like very angry, scowly headlights, mm-hmm. and it also had that really. <laughs> That really poorly thought out Subaru corporate grill that was supposed mm-hmm. to like evoke airplanes. Oh man! Um, <laughs> the one that was in its worst form on the B9 Tribeca. Yes, um, I was just thinking of the yeah. Tribeca. That thing looked like a battleship. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, and they adapted a version of that for the Impreza. I thought it looked awful when it came out. Yeah, but as time went on, I came around to it, and like I, I like the Hawkeye Imprezas too. Um, so I think this is probably another case of there's going to be a bunch of people that are really annoyed with the way this looks. And like five to 10 years down the road, they're like, oh yeah, that was a pretty cool Impreza <laughs> or WRX. Sorry. Cause they're technically different vehicles now, even though they're still related, but whatever. It's interesting. Ralph Gill, the VP of the design for Stellantis. I, he has a quote that I've heard him say at least a couple times, good design is timeless and bad design is timeless. And in this case, I don't know if you would say this is bad design, but I agree with you. I think it'll hold up. I think it's it's a Subaru WRX. And if you don't like it, you're either not going to get it or you're such a WRX you know, fan person that you're going to get it still and then complain about it. So um, going through the, the back pages, the library, if you will, of Autoblog, we did have a WRX um let's see what year was this this was 14 and 15. it wasn't an sti it was a wrx it was blue it looks somewhat similar to this thing um i remember i took it to chicago um very much of a through line here to what we have uh it definitely uh was a memorable thing let's put it that way that one i believe had the upgraded seats with the heavy bolsters so I remember it was a bit challenging to drive uh, comfortably. I remember eating a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich and trying to like shift the gears somewhere in West Michigan on the way to Chicago. So, and then the STI I was thinking of was actually in 2011, 12, 
when I worked for Auto Week. So an entirely different car magazine. Uh, and that was an actual real deal STI. It was limited. It had a crazy wing. And frankly, when you're thinking of designs, I think that's like a better, like just WR, WRX design. You know, you do get the wing, which came with the STI model at the time, but the fender flares are a little more bulgy. You even can see them, especially on the back on this new car. But it just seemed like it was a little bit more, less cartoonish. Um, I think the new one's a touch cartoonish. So um, I'm not sure who's up for it next. Maybe you, but I think we're going to really enjoy this year. We, um, you know, I feel like whenever I've worked for an enthusiast magazine, as you can see, I've been through three of these long-termers at least, there's always a lot to pe for people to pick at, like, dislike, complain. Um, and I think, you know, a good way to maybe kind of bring it together is it's, um, it's sort of like, obviously it's an enthusiast car, but the dynamics, when I drive this car, I can picture those other two cars, other two long-term Subarus that I've experienced, been lucky to experience. And it's like an old world feel. It's not old fashioned because this is a modern car, but it's still like, it's enthusiastic and it's, like it's simple, it's bare bones, and it is old fashioned. It's like the comparison that I use is I, I have, I golf a lot and I do bring that up on the podcast. And I have a lot of, you know, mostly modern clubs, but I do keep an old golf club in there. It's a four wood, which I'll hit like for an in between shot. And it's from the 60s or 70s. It was, you know, from my dad's set. I don't use his whole set just because it's, you can't use a set of 60 year old clubs and, you know, sometimes you got to hit your titanium club, the modern club. But once in a while, it's fun to pull that out for like a mid-range shot. It's harder than if I use the titanium club because there's less room for error, but I can still hit the ball pretty well with it. And I think that's obviously what I think gets in your head when you put down your money to buy a car like this is it's more work to drive, but it's rewarding. It's fun. Uh, I'm sure you're going to be psyched. It'll be interesting to hear. Um, why don't you tell everybody what the TR is real quick, just in case you've missed that? Because I think that's a good way to frame up the Subaru WRX lineup. Yeah, because I, I said a little bit earlier that like it's got 5% stiffer suspension. It's got big yeah. brakes. It's got it gets rid of the sunroof. It gets Recaro seats. Mm. So it's just a little bit harder core. Yeah. In a way, it's like the STI without the additional power. So. Kind of. It doesn't go as far, though, because the STI's got limited slip differentials and a, uh, a center differential that you can adjust kind okay. of front and rear bias. The, the STI went farther, but the yeah. TR is sort of an in-between. Kind of like a performance pack, perhaps, on the Mustang yeah. GT. There we yeah. go. All right. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the XC90, and then we'll spend some money. Yeah. So I spent a little bit of time in the XC90 recharge, and that's probably the one that like, if you have the means, that's the one to get. It makes more than 400 horsepower with the combined supercharged and turbocharged four cylinder and a big rear motor. The rear motor makes like 140 horsepower. Um, it's got about 30 miles of electric range. And honestly, basically the entire time I had it, I drove it in full electric mode. Granted, I work from home, so I don't have to, go that many places but i mean if you're charging from home every night 
you're going to use electric for a lot of a lot of the time and it's getting old and it shows in some places but in other places it's still quite an ed like it still looks very good the interior is very elegant modern swedish vibes all the way through nice materials comfy seats it drives smaller than it is it's not it's not an enormous three row but it feels lighter and more nimble than uh, some other things. I wouldn't call it sporty. It's still a fairly soft, relaxed vehicle, but it does feel a bit more, you know, maneuverable and enjoyable than some stuff in the segment. It's kind of like that nice in-between. Uh, where the age really shows, though, is the infotainment system. This has been around... Because it was, this infotainment came out and was new, like, basically around when I started an autoblog, like around 2016 or so. Um, and back then it was, like, one of the leading infotainment systems. Back then there were a lot of really, really awful infotainment systems. Um, this one, well, it actually, in some ways, it, it's backtracked a little bit because there's actually fewer physical buttons than back in 2016 or so. 2016-2017. Oh, there's a lot of features that if they're not in the like four shortcut blocks on the main screen end up as very small icons on like the side menus and it's just kind of a mess of icons and it's it's really hard like if you're looking for something that is not in one of those little shortcuts uh, it's kind of a mess and like you almost want to like pull over like stop and like actually look through all of these little icons and words to try and find what you're looking for. It's not the greatest for actually, like, you need to kind of think about what, what you're going to use the most, and anytime that it's not one of those, it's kind of a hassle. Um, and, like, the also, the competition is getting better and just more of it. Like, when this launched, you didn't have things like the shockingly fancy and luxurious like Grand uh, Grand Cherokee, right. and the and now the CX the Mazda CX ninety is coming out. The Lincoln Aviator hadn't come out yet, um, and a lot of these are available with plug-in hybrid powertrains as well. So it's it's definitely a need a replacement, and technically it is getting a replacement. The EX ninety the full the full electric SUV is true kind of the successor and like i think the xc90 is probably just kind of gonna linger until like volvo feels like they don't really need the gas option anymore well we mentioned earlier the transitional phase we're all in this is one of those vehicles that they're keeping just nice enough for the people who want this type of vehicle to keep it credible and at some point they will probably move on from it mm -hmm. and for volvo it's probably not as big a deal because they have been very clear that like they're pushing forward with ev like that is mm -hmm. that is what they're doing they're not going to stray from it like they're they're pushing hard for that um and you know being a luxury automaker they can they can kind of afford to do that because their clientele probably has another vehicle that they could rely on if like ev doesn't work entirely for them all the time uh, they can cover the costs of like their battery and motor technology and stuff. Um, 
it's just a lot easier to do electric at higher on higher end vehicles because you can kind of justify the costs easier. All right. Speaking of costs, let's spend some money. This is a good one from uh, uh, from up in Montreal. Bruno writes, hello, everyone. Love the show. I've been owning a 2017 Audi SQ5 for a year and a half. Although it's a great vehicle, I'm looking to downsize since I'm not util utilizing the cargo space and I, that I thought I would need and I missed the nibbleness of a small car. Uh, looking for a Cooper sedan, drives approximately 20,000 miles a year uh, with some spirited back road driving and occasional quarter mile racing. Live in Montreal, a great city, one of my favorites. Uh, so all wheel drive is not a requirement. Budget is 40,000 Canadian for a CPO. Uh, and that's about at current exchange rates, uh, that's about 30 grand in the US. So um, I have some thoughts. I think, you know, one thing I would just kind of do right off the top is just consider it, stay with Audi, look for a used uh, A4 or A5. You already know you, you're in the family, you like it. They're sold in Canada. I had to cross-reference some things here to make sure what's sold here and what's sold over there. Um, you can find some of those. Uh, and also a BMW 3 Series. I think that could be pretty nice. I think because he's willing to go used, that means you can get go from like 17 to like maybe 21 and still get something that feels fairly new. And also, you know, you're willing to put down a bit of money. Like $30,000 for a used car is not nothing. So you can get a lot of car. So um, if I'm doing my exchange rates, math correctly those look like things you can find out there uh what do you what do you think there joel yeah so what i'm thinking is i'm also thinking audi and in addition to the like a4 a5 line i would say look at an s3 or possibly even an audi tts um because basically those are oh that's fun yeah because those are basically a VW Golf R, but in either a sedan or a coupe body shape. And it's hard to go wrong with one of those. Yeah. And I was kind of poking around on um, a classified site for Canada. Depend depending on like condition, miles, and things like that, you might be able to squeak into an RS3. Okay. Which... Is awesome. It might be a little more hardcore than what you're really looking for. Like the suspension on those is pretty stiff, but that five cylinder, that 400 horse five cylinder is kind of amazing. Um, but probably a safer bet S3 or TTS, like the S version of the TT specifically. Again, it's like they're golf R's, but they're like fancier. <laughs> It's got um, the five cylinder engine, which is really, really no. Something. Those those are that's those, the RS. Right, RS has the okay. five cylinder. The uh, S is the Golf R four cylinder. Oh, so, okay. so just shy of three hundred horsepower and all wheel drive. Overselling that here. Okay, continue. Sorry. Right, and that's that's why I was like, you might be able to get the RS three with with the five cylinder, but the S is probably it's easier to find. It's also not going to be as stiff and hardcore as the RS three, so it'd probably be a lot easier to live with. <laughs> And it's like, the, I mean, that Golf R plat. like, I would also even suggest a Golf R. <laughs> yeah, it's not um, a bad call. Just straight up. But if you're looking for, like, the sedan or coupe, that's your Golf R with, as a sedan or coupe. All right. Checking my math here, you can, in fact, get a very nice BMW 
Three Series 2021 for uh, just under 43 Canadian. Uh, it has X Drive and it's available at the BMW Montreal Center. So, um, again, sometimes you get a little tricky, like certain things are sold here that aren't sold there. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think I would land on something like like a three series. I think that would be different, kind of fun too. Um, have you ever been to Montreal? No, I never have. I'd like to go sometime. I have gone in the winter a couple times, and it's fun. Um, great place to hang out. You know, fun town. Great food. Good place to have have some drinks. I went to the, it was then called the Molson Center, I think, which is where the Canadians play hockey. I'm a big hockey fan. So it was fun to see a game there. Um, yeah, just a great, great town to hang out in. I think especially in winter because we're, I mean, hell, we live in Michigan. Going somewhere cold for winter is not a problem. But I, I think also seeing the F1 race there in the summer would be kind of cool. Check out the, uh, Check out the circuit. And yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. All right, that's all the time we have this week. Please give us uh, five stars if you so uh, are so inclined on uh, the ratings. That helps us get the word out so people, you know, hey, like our show and want to subscribe. Uh, if you have a spend my money, that's podcast at autoblog.com. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>